Welcome to the Take A Seat Podcast. This podcast brings awareness to disability sports and supports. We are talking to experts and athletes with a disability from around the world. Before we get stuck into this episode, we want to say a massive thank you to our sponsor, the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at suncoastspinners.com.au. Welcome back. Episode 14, Cameron. Episode 14, James. Yes. Love it. Look, off the back end of an absolute ripping episode with Sarah, I know that there's been some stellar conversations come off the back of that already, and I'm sure that'll extend into this episode as well. But tell us who we've got on today. We have someone that is very close to both you and, and I. We've worked very closely with him, and I know that we've been talking about getting this guy on from the moment we decided to do this podcast. Um, he's someone that we've talked to off air about it. We've talked a lot about it with him, and he has provided both of us a lot of knowledge around a lot of things. So we actually have Blair Hunt on today. Oh, Blair, we'd like to welcome you to take a seat with us on the Take a Seat Project. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. So Blair, would you mind giving us a quick, maybe a quick 30 second introduction, perhaps maybe where, where it all started for you and where we are now? Before I start, I just wanted to do a quick um, acknowledgement to country. Um, so I'd like to uh, I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present, and those emerging, and also to is pay my respects to the lands on which we are on, uh, which is the Gubby Gubby people as well. So I was born and raised in Mackay, and so went through primary, high school in Mackay, and then shifted up to Townsville to James Cook University, and and did my undergraduate degree, and from there, I absolutely fell in love with neuro rehab on my final year, final placement at a service called Community Rehab Northern Queensland. And this particular service shaped my whole career and my whole outlook on neuro rehabilitation. And so from there, the service changed hands with funding and moved to a different service still in Townsville. And this is where I, so at the previous service, sorry, I I met my my wife and then we had a a beautiful child and my wife and I and my then two-year-old, we then moved to the Sunshine Coast and we've had a second child since being on the Sunshine Coast and started work and then recently moved across to a a different service that is more community-based. So lots of community rehabilitation in the neurological sector um, as well. So, And just sorry, confirm for me uh, how how many years has been in the neurospace working and then is it particularly in XFIS? Yeah, so I've, I've been in the ex-phys uh, industry and neuro rehab right from the start. So I graduated in 2012 uh, and then went straight into a service that was a neurological community-based rehab service. Love it. Um, and then have stayed in that particular industry ever since. Love it. So uh, as we said, we got you on here, Blair, as the first support. And that's come down to the fact that both James and I love everything that you do as a therapist. Your wife being a therapist herself and, and just your mentality around therapy in general. Uh, where I want to start the conversation in particular is, is about something that you do very, very well is getting people to identify that therapy needs to be right for them. So the way that therapy happens is, you know, you might go to a different exercise physiologist, you might go to a different company and just not feel right. And you've got to learn where that right place is for each person. And you've got a really, really good mindset on that. Do you want to uh, let people know how to find the right therapist or the right type of therapy? Yeah, I think it, it, it 
it, it brings up a really good point around that, you know, this this concept of person-centered care. And you hear it a lot, like a lot of services are saying, you know, we're a person-centered care. And I think the main aspect of that is the the goal itself. And if that particular participant has set a certain goal is for them to be able to then go around and kind of say to therapists, this is my my goal. Is it something that you can help me out with? And so um, that's sort of the, the the starting point of it is, is I do make sure that the person has the ownership of that goal um, because it is their life. It's their, you know, their, their journey that they're going through. So they have that goal and they go around and they might talk to different therapists. But I think to get a really good therapist and there's there's so many out there there's there's some really really good therapists out there but to you know find those who are able to kind of go along the journey of you know i i use the icf so the international classification of functioning as the kind of model of assisting people to achieve those goals so you know we, we start at a very impairment focus therapy um, but if we stick and just stay in impairment, yes, we might get stronger. Yes, we might get more range of, of motion. Yes, we might get fitter. But then we're not able to actually use those improvements. So then we shift into the next phase of the activity phase. And, you know, say, for instance, there's someone for walking. And then from there is sort of saying to someone, well, okay, you can, you're able to walk better now. What is it that you want to be able to do? And then it might be to walk along the beach with a family. And so I find therapists who, you know, sort of really grasp onto that model of care and have that vision of, you know, starting at that impairment focus and working your way through to the participation level or their goal really, really strengthens the team around that particular person as well. And it just empowers the participant to know that they can achieve things and also too as they can see a what would you say where, where they've come from i suppose how how tough is that for a clinician and let's let's put it in the in the phases to where you the two of you previously worked like 38 hours a week let's say what 18 clients in a week if that at, at a minimum yeah how how difficult is it to be that personal and understand the goals of your participants to that detail, like uh, as, as you were saying, from the from the point of being able to complete an activity and then activity specific with family members or uh, in a, in a specific location, how how difficult is that? Or easy is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the right service has to be there um, because it, it does. It, it, it's very tricky in um, terms of the setup for it. Uh, I, I feel like it's a lot of different things in in terms of um, it's the same answer for a lot of different disciplines like everyone tries to do a lot with a lot of different people or i'm not trying to say people products here but in terms of creating different products or creating different services to a number of people but then just sort of compounding that by too much that it makes it impersonable if that makes sense so you're not able to deliver it on a personal basis and then as well as you would if it was a one person over a week's duration that you were working with yeah it's not easy so to put it put it down into the when you've got 18 clients most therapists have more than 18 clients, you know, but when you're putting it into a perspective as to trying to achieve that goal setting and, and getting it to the realistic end point, in every single session, you break it down to why you're doing an exercise or why you're doing a particular mouth movement for a speech therapist or a dietitian. why you're prescribing that. When multiple therapists are working together, you do have that option where now everything is on the internet and everything is on software systems. So you can actually save those notes. You can save where you've got up to what, what you're trying to achieve. The NDIS does it really well with that every 12 months they have a review process. So it makes you as a therapist understand that, okay, I have to actually break down that goal every 12 months at least and write a report for that person and, and help advocate 
advocate for that person. You're not going to remember everything. So you ha- you use things in your advantage to make it so that you actually do achieve those things and you use software systems or other therapists, being very open with other therapists, communicating with an OT. It does take time and effort, but if you're willing to do it and be a good therapist, you can make anything really happen. And it comes down to the therapist that you work with willing to put that into their their work model and making it happen. But obviously, every therapist got to have a work-life balance. And that's what you're alluding to is 18 clients. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of time. Will you fit all of that in? In reality, every clinic that you work at, if you want to make something happen, that clinic, if they want the best therapist, they will make it happen. They will get you to help and model the business and whatever else to make that type of thing happen. And as a therapist, if if it's not what you want to achieve and that's not going to uh, work properly, and as a client, you are very welcome to move on to the next clinic or the next place and achieve those things that you want to achieve. So exactly as Blair said, you know, it, one clinic closed down because of uh, funding and whatever else, but then the next one opened up and set up the same model, had to move and found a location that, you know, wanted to do that type of thing, wasn't quite necessarily happy with it, moved to the next one. So as a therapist and as a client, you have every right to move to make that thing work and make it a, a suitable model. And, and yeah, definitely, Blair, you've got, mm. as you said, you've got the notes there that we'll, we'll touch on and we'll go over as to how that can happen and, and a really good example of it as well. So you don't believe, Blair, that 12 months is too long to be reviewing participant goals? I, I generally, so when I do set goals with people is, is generally, you know, your short-term, mid-term, long-term dream goals. So, you know, there might be, uh, you know, a goal that has been set in there, let's say, a, you know, a plan and you know, over a 12-month period. There's certainly goals that fit into that 12-month period, but there's certainly some that, that that don't. And so I think it's really looking at, you know, what is that 12-month goal and then breaking that down. So having part goals uh, and then in therapy is having part practice. It might be, you know, specifically trying to be able to strengthen a particular muscle within the lower limb to improve walking, but making sure that, you know, there's time set aside at the end of that session to actually do walking. And then if... You know, if possible, is to actually take someone, you know, if their goal is to be walking in the community for some form of purpose, is to actually take them out into the community and do walking in the community. So I it's love, like a... There was, sorry, there was there was one, one, one just brought back memory one time in the, in the cl- clinic, we were all, I think we were all there, we were having the conversation as to, if you want to get better at sit-to-stands, you do sit-to-stands. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the goal, you, that's what you do, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. This was a goal that was set and it was, um, I, I'm sure the particular participant won't mind me sharing her story. I won't use her, her name, but she set a goal, sat down, same thing again, setting goals um, is something I really love to do with people and be able to, to draw those goals out. And I tend to use more of the terms around meaningful goals. So, you know, what is going to actually make a meaningful change in someone's life? So, yep, getting my legs stronger is going to be great, but I want to know why. Why is that? Um, I generally say the three whys or I think, you know, I was sort of saying the five whys, ask why three to five times and you'll generally get a really nice goal. So, yeah, so this particular lady, she, um, we were talking, I'd been working with her for probably six months prior to this and she said to me, she said, I would love to have a second child. And I said, okay. And she said, but if I do have my second child, I want to be involved. So this lady, she's an incredible lady. She's a social worker by background. She has cerebral palsy and she has spasticity in all four limbs. Um, so uh, reliant upon an electric 
wheelchair. Extremely intelligent, just a really beautiful woman. And yeah, and she said, but you know, I want to be involved with my child's care as well. So this set us down the path of, you know, this is going to be a big interprofessional coming together. So this is like my first service. Uh, and so we had all the professions involved with this particular participant. And we even had, you know, um, rehab physicians involved as well for uh, Botox therapy and all sorts of things to help out. My particular role in this, so it was myself and the physiotherapist. So the physio I worked with in community rehab, we're very good mates and have been ever since. We worked worked together for, I want to say, seven to eight years um, and literally side by side. So yeah, we had this goal and broke it down into all sorts. Um, at the time, she wasn't actually, I think she wasn't pregnant. Um, so <laughs> something had to start first. Yes. <laughs> and then she fell pregnant. And then so the very first component of that was to ensure that her body was ready for pregnancy. And so we had, um, you know, we had women's physio involved as well. And then so, you know, from my side of things, it was really about keeping, you know, her, her physiological system up and, uh, you know, at a, at a really good rate so she could carry the child and then birth the child and all sorts of things. She then had the child. So she had some time off over that particular period of time. Um, before she had the child, the, you know, the occupational therapist was going through, well, doing like um, things of getting bub out of bassinets, changing. There was assistive aids and technology. So this was the time before NDIS as well. So there was um, a lot of applications for various assistive technology to help out with that. And then yeah, she had bub and to cut a long, <laughs> a really long story short, myself and the physiotherapist uh, towards the one she, when she came back, we then started to do home visits. Uh, and so both of us would go out. And as soon as we got there, we said, right, you're out of the chair. And she sort of looked at us and we said, we're getting you out of the chair. We're going to get you onto the ground. Uh, so we got onto the ground and we just did lots of different floor work um, with her between the physio and I. And it got to a point that we were able to get her up onto her all fours. Um, she was able to lie prone, so on her tummy, and was allowed and, and to be flat. And the reason for that was so she could spend tummy time with her child and interact with her child on the ground. So at the you know the first sort of sessions, it was it was I think we were practicing like. I think it was like a quarter roll. So really chalking up, rolling, coming back, rolling, coming back to the point that then she was able to roll side to side. She was able to go all the way onto her tummy, up onto all fours. And I remember being there and her child was there who was, I think she must've been around one at the time. And I said to her, I said, when was, have you hugged your child out of the chair? And she sort of looked at me and she said, no, the only times I've ever hugged my child and her previous child as well, uh, was either lying in bed or sitting in a wheelchair. And so that were the only, only times. And if you've ever hugged someone who is sitting in, in a wheelchair, you, it's, they have to be able to really come forward for you to be able to give them a really good hug as well. And, and that, that, you know, we connect a lot through hugging as well. But um, anyway, she said, no, I, I, I never have um, sort of things. So I looked at the physio and we said, well, let's, let's see what we can do. And um, yeah, so we managed to get her up onto a two-point kneel and got her into that position removed our hands away. She stabilized in that position. And without even saying or doing anything, her little bub ran up to her and just gave her the most incredible hug. And there was tears, there was all sorts of things uh, at that point in time. Um, and so that was the first time that she hugged her own child in a position that, you know, we're, we're so, so used to um, from there. And then that led to her then having horsey rides from her 
you know, her first child um, to tummy time to, yeah, they just did so many incredible things on the ground. It's an um, incredible as story. Well. So, yeah, so those... That, that was where, you know, yes, it took years and years, but that was where, you know, goal-focused therapy was just, that, that changed my life. And to see that and to see, you know, the, the happiness, the excitement, not only on the participant's face, but the child's face, who was, you know, just over one, to give her mum, you know, this, this amazing hug. And it was just a, yeah, a really, really beautiful time which was great. The Take a Seat podcast is in your ears thanks to the Suncoast Spinners. The Suncoast Spinners are a wheelchair-based sporting club. They run social inclusion programs, including but not limited to basketball and rugby. If you want to get involved with the Suncoast Spinners programs, you can just rock up at Mergant, Morayfield and Sippy Downs on Wednesdays, Fridays and Saturdays or contact them on Instagram, Facebook or their website www.suncoastspinners.com.au. The Suncoast Spinners programs are for people of all ages and abilities. They're looking for players, officials and volunteers to help with all of their programs. So make sure you check out the Suncoast Spinners on Facebook, Instagram or on their website again, www.suncoastspinners.com.au. That's an amazing story. Like, <laughs> There's no denying that. that. That's such a great story. And as a therapist, myself being in that and, and doing the same, working alongside yourself, that's the type of goals and that's the type of things that you can achieve if you put your mind to it. And to answer your question before, James, as to, you know, is it possible? How much effort is it when you've got multiple clients, all that sort of stuff, is anything is possible if you put your mind and your effort to it. You know, it's a lot of time and, and most uh, companies and whatever else will will work with you to make that happen. Uh, obviously, it is a business and whatever else, but you find the right therapist, you find the right way to make it happen. With now the NDIS and other therapy modules and uh, funding systems, you can make it happen. And people will go above and beyond to get a story and a feeling and a, a moment like that that changes people's lives. You and I are in this industry and what we're doing with the podcast and everything because of a life-changing moment or something that's caused that. People just need to find, if you're, not, if you're not getting that, you can get that or ask. Simply the person that you're working with, you've probably got a really, really good relationship with. Ask, hey, I, I want to achieve this. I know it's possible. Hey, let's, let's sit down and let's work it out and let's make this happen. They will, they will do it. Thank you for sharing that beautiful story. I was going to say, uh, obviously, you may not want to talk about it or whatever else, but your brother, yep. I know that he has has a brain injury and you are so close with your brother. Mm. Going away from the therapist side of things, how is it being a family member of, <laughs> I still remember the day that you come in and you're like, my brother's got a phone and uh, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is a new experience. <laughs> like stories like that where a family member of someone with a disability that is changing and, and living through that moment as well. Yeah, yeah. So backstory on my brother. So um, my mother had quite a traumatic birthing story. So my brother had hypoxic brain injury at birth, so the um, umbilical cord around the, the neck and suffered quite a big brain injury from that. And so he was born in 87. <laughs> 87. <laughs> Make yeah. sure you get that one right. <laughs> yeah, born in 87. So, you know, at that time, you know, with the evidence that they had, um, and I know you guys have spoken about this in the past in terms of, you know, disability and how far disability has come over the years, you know, back then, you know, was, was sort of informed that, you know, your my parents were informed your, your life's going to change. You know, we, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. 
of your child. And so, you know, it's it, it was a preparation talk, I suppose, as to what was to come. My parents are amazing, beautiful people, and they just took it by the horns and they said, well, we're we're doing it. That's 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 just it. We, we're we're going to raise this child and we'll have an amazing um, young man. Um, and that he is. So, you know, if you ask anyone from Mackay who Blair is, they'll all say it's Royce's brother. Uh, <laughs> I'm always Royce's brother. It's not Blair. <laughs> you know, he, he went through, mum and dad, you know, wanted him to go through mainstream school. You know, they had the, um, I think they called uh, special education departments and that at the school. But he is just an incredible person you know he has the personality of a 14 15 year old you know he's always in a happy mood always just lights the room up you know wherever wherever he goes as well and he, he certainly has shaped you know my sort of what would you say shaped my career um shaped my outlook in life yeah there's lots of things that that my brother has sort of shaped from there i've actually got to meet your brother and as you said everybody knows him and and true character like (laughs) really really good character (laughs) i can't remember cowboys fan isn't he oh absolutely yeah he come in and full head to toe cowboys kit and just like into all of us at at the clinic about cowboys this and that and being down in southeast queensland thought we all went for the broncos and just (laughs) into us for so long and when i said i was a storm fan he's like oh okay you're all right and then like changed the whole yeah just but you know living with that and again that type of influencing the way that we go with the therapist and what we do and family or there is a story often that most therapists will have that type of mentality me personally, and you, you may be also able to help with this, someone that doesn't have that story or, or is interested in, in working in, in particular disability field, how would you, one, get people to go down that field or be interested or even trial it out? What would your suggestions be to someone that's maybe looking at uh, changing industry or getting into disability? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, you know, um, if, if you ask a lot of the neuro you know, neurotherapist, um, you know, why, why did you get into neuro rehab? A lot of them will say, you know, that it's, it's that, you know, they, they want to be able to make a significant difference in someone's life as well. So what I would sort of suggest is definitely, you know, if, if you've got the opportunity on placement is to be able to get a neuro placement to, to be able to go into that field. You do have to have, I suppose, you know, a very kind heart i suppose in in terms when you go down that pathway you know you will see various things like these people are going through very traumatic whether it's a you know one day to the next their whole life has been turned upside down or they've been you know diagnosed with something that is going to progress for you know for, for their throughout their life so there's quite a big aspect of that is emotional waves emotional roller coaster as well but yeah definitely trialing with trialing going going on placements and really testing it out and i i think a lot of people as soon as you hear neuro rehab they get a bit spooked by it as well like it's a it it is a very big (laughs) sort of name neuro rehab and uh, a lot of people kind of go oh that's that's really that must be really really hard to do it's not as scary as what it sounds um so yeah i think really 
I, on placement having a go at it. I, say, I, I know, and all three of us would be able to allude to this as well. When I first went into uh, it in particular, my mindset was, oh, someone that can't talk, someone that's drooling. And or you think of like the most drastic of drastic things as a therapist. And that was kind of the mindset that I went in with. I was like, holy, like it's going to be this all day, day in, day out. Of And I thought of like the worst possible things. And it's far from that. Like, yeah, some days it's hard to listen to someone that may have a speech impediment or difficulty talking from a brain injury or whatever else. But in reality, there's not too much of that really daunting, like, oh my God, that that really scared me the hell out of, of not doing that. Do you find that as well between the two of you? Like my my introduction to the neuro rehab side of things was a bit of a bit of a shock because my I guess insight to the disability realm has always been wheelchair basketball. So always within the sort of the the active community of those that do have a disability, whether it's a stroke, whether it's loss of limbs, spinal injury, minor CP, uh, cerebral palsy, a variety of different things. But when I first started working at at the Neuro Rehab Clinic and then actually working with two of the more recent clients in support work, introduction to intellectual development disabilities in that in that, in that realm that was that was new for me so i went to david the ceo and uh head head clinician and i asked him i was like what can i do to better myself educate myself and he was like, "Mate, the best thing you can do is just get experience just work with them and try different things and if it works it doesn't but if it does it's even better like you know it's all you can really could do and i was like wow is that is that really it like you know, um, so spent a bit of time on Google, but that was quite literally it. That's all anyone really ever had to say was just experiences is what's going to uh, educate you. There was a bit of shock in terms of, I guess it was more personally my understandings of the realms of disability. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's that's kind of what I was but, alluding to is it, is it's a mind perception of it. Yeah. And and you, you're only going to sort of shape your perception with what you already know, um, as in my case was those who were active in sports and particularly in wheelchairs. Not all of them would be wheelchair bound on a daily basis, but would certainly use it in sports. And then so when going into into a neurohab clinic, it was certainly broadened my perception on the abilities of those with intellectual disabilities. Yeah, yeah. And I think too, and, and I think a lot of people who work in the neurospace will sort of see this is is there's the you know there's the what we what we visually see with people who have had a, a neurological um, event or have a neurological diagnosis and generally like a lot of you know not not everyone but the public and those who may not work in the neurospace they see that sort of what they see of that person and they kind of start the perception of what that person who that person's going to be like so i guess what i'm sort of saying is like you kind of have to push that to the side and and everyone like we're, we're, we're all, we're all people and, you know, deep down every single one of the, you know, the, the people with a neurological condition, you know, just your general everyday people that have had extraordinary lives. And once you unpack their lives, you kind of get to know who they are as a person and as their name. Um, so, you know, one thing I've really tried to do as much as I can and, and is ensure that when, you know, when I'm when I'm either talking to people who have had a neurological event or talking about someone who has had a neurological event is is it's their name rather than their diagnosis. It's their, their name that I really try and, you know, utilize as well because they are. They're just, you know, someone's got a speech impairment and, and you know, an aphasia or something like that um, is it doesn't necessarily mean that they don't know what they're trying, what they're, what they're wanting to say, or what they're trying to say. Um, it's all there. Absolutely. Um, they're just, yeah. 
The other thing that I wanted to sort of say, I think it was on what you were saying about, um, you know, those who are wanting to get into neuro rehab and, and what is it that they do. Something that has certainly shaped my experience is surrounding myself with others who have you know, that experience in neurological rehab. You know, I've got mentors, I've got supervisors, um, but also too is, you know, I've probably learned the most from other professions um, as well. So I think that ability to surround yourself with that knowledge is is just incredible as well. You know, so that that was just one thing I wanted to add in terms of those who are wanting to get down there, just talk with people and, and don't stay in your, when I say don't stay just in your profession, but, you know, talking to people who are, you know, an occupational therapist, a physio, a speechy and that sort of stuff and get their perspectives of what they do with people as well because it just it just broadens your knowledge so much um, as well so that's that interprofessional multi-d work i'm going to hijack this bandwagon so i was working obviously my role in enhanced so i was working on putting together a program for like, like a rubric or trying to understand like a individual technical measurements rubric now there's one already done that was provided to me by wheelchair basketball canada and specifically for the wheelchair basketball skills I was trying to build one for basic chair skills that could then be spread across all different sports. And I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm watching one particular client and I had, had, had them in a day chair and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh. I do this with everyone. So I see them in a sports chair or a day chair and I'm like, look, it would be really nice if they were either sitting lower or if they were sitting up higher, if they had more sort of a rotational push from where their hands start to where they finish. Why is that? And I, uh, I grabbed one of the other clinicians that were in the, in the clinic at the time. And I said, does, does he look comfortable? She actually brought up this point. Like, so she sat me down on the bench and she said, do you feel comfortable if you were to be able to lift your, if you lift your feet up, sit on the edge of the bench, lift your feet up and then lean down to the side? And then how do you feel? Like, how did you have to change your posture to sit like that? Ended up being that I had to do it. And I was then doing the same movement that this gentleman was doing in the sports chair. Sorry, in the day chair. So she then explained that he's he looks the way that he's looking in his posture because his core strength isn't there in the chair. So he probably needs a higher backrest or more dump to provide that core stability. And his arms will be able to freely move more so and it'll get a larger push motion. And I was like, my God, <laughs> right? Wow. So much that I didn't think about or didn't know. So that interprofessional and multidisciplinary team is, you know, it's massive, huge. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It really yeah. does change a lot of lot of things and and make it very very knowledgeable. But then bouncing ideas off people and everything makes it really easy to understand why things are the way they are. Yeah. Mm. Okay. One last thing. We're going to quickly talk about something that was brought up in a previous episode that was actually spoken by you in a clinic, Blair. That we then brought in to an episode, and that was the comment that the consideration or the thought that you have to be able to ride a bicycle but disabled to use a wheelchair. Mm. Yeah. Expand on your thoughts on that. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I kind of have these sort of moments of thoughts and, you know, why is it that um, we've got these certain titles for specific pieces of equipment and stuff like that? I don't know how we'd get there. I don't know how long it would take to get there. There would be a lot of changing of perceptions around a wheelchair. You know, I, I, I haven't listened to the episode yet, but is it M MC Wheels? Oh, I can't remember which episode it was in now. Was, yeah. I want to say it was in Rob's and a couple, but yeah, it, but we've like, mentioned yeah, just, it. Yeah. Just in terms of like, you know, you, I, I see, you know, the guys doing backflips on wheelchairs and that sort of stuff these days is quite, quite incredible. But anyway, the thing that I was, was sort of thinking was, you know, why is it that as a form of mobility or, or, or transport or even as fitness, you know, why is it that we can't see one day? is I can say, well, I'd like to go do push 
as a form of fitness. And so I'm going to get into a wheelchair and push along the pathway, you know, along the beach of the Sunshine Coast. You know, so I'd love to see the day that it does come around where able-bodied or, you know, someone who who requires a wheelchair for mobility is um, anyone can sort of get into a wheelchair and use it as a form of, of fitness, a form of transport um, as well. So, yeah, it was kind of looking... I know it's, that... It's uh, funny. We had, we had this conversation yesterday. We were sitting and doing some business planning and Cameron, we, we want to get out to more... Adaptive and sports for some reason, but yeah, adaptive or inclusive sports. And we were going to go out in wheelchairs or specifically we were going to try and get out in like day chairs and sort of, I guess it's kind of like sort of, we wanted to do the cliche, put yourself in the shoes, but knowing full well that it's on a very shallow level, but we wanted to sort of or camera through the idea of going out in a wheelchair. Now I've done this before with clients. I've gone out in a wheelchair and done that as, as a form of fitness sort of push along, but it's, I don't know what it is, but I feel weird doing it. Like, I just yeah. feel like it's like... But it's a, it comes down to what we've talked about in previous episodes where people look at you, snicker, and kind of... They're not meaning to. And we went to the beach only not long ago, you and I, and we looked at a gentleman that wheeled past us in a wheelchair yes. and we both sat there and we kind of looked and it, we I was, both, I was we looking, both I was looking sat at the, there. At the, at the leg, at the yeah. that you had on. I think you were looking at the same thing. Both- I was looking at the wheelchair and James was looking at his amputated leg and both of us realized that we were looking at the gentleman in his wheelchair like overly looking at it and we both snapped at each other and went we just did exactly what we've talked about on the podcast multiple times Mm. not meaning to do it but we were looking at different things as to i was looking at the fact that he was in an rgk wheelchair and he was in his day chair and he had this and this and this and james was looking at okay well he's using his upper body he's got his one amputated leg so we were looking at it as a learning perspective from ourselves, but we didn't actually think of it as to that poor gentleman just saw us look at him for an extensive period of time and probably thought that we were looking at him as to he has a disability, what's going on and whatever. Mm. But it wasn't that at all. And we both like, yeah. realized what we did it. And we're like, when we get in a chair, are people thinking the same thing that we're thinking when it comes to that? But, but we really do want to get to that, yeah. that mindset where people are happy to just get in a chair, irrespective of whatever. And it's not that... Maybe it's come from the TV ads of someone's had a car accident and they're in a wheelchair and it's a bad thing. No. I think if we had have asked, like, if we had just gone, is that a tie light or an IGK? It would have been a world of a difference. You mm. know what I mean? But the fact that we didn't say anything, we, we, were just, we were just looking at our own thoughts. We were thinking, what kind of prosthetic has he got? Has he, like, what's going on? Where, where's the... Where's the amputation from? Would he be a, th- for me, I'm thinking, is he a three point or is he going to be a 3.5 player if he jumps in a basketball chair? You know what I mean? Has he got leverage from below his knee or is, is he not? Cam's looking at what kind of model chair it is. Um, but if we had simply asked that to him, that would have, it wouldn't have been a problem. Maybe it would have been, but that would be a different conversation, I guess. But the fact is like, if I'm, sorry to go back to it, like if I was in a day chair, if I'm in a day chair, that's where I have a problem. But if I'm in my sports chair, I haven't got a problem. Yeah, I don't, I don't think about mm. it whatsoever. Yeah, and it's a big conversation, and I I think there's there's a significant shift towards removing that stigma mm. now as well, and and you know, and and it's exactly that because you know I'm going to use that example is is when people you know, and I can't talk on behalf of people who are in wheelchairs because I'm, I'm I'm not, but um you know when they are in a wheelchair and they do get looked at, it's like a massive barrier for them, and they kind of go, well, I don't want to go out into the community because people are just going to look at me, and I don't want that attention on me i don't want people to look at me um as well so it's it's something that you know as a a huge and you know it's 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 a massive conversation and we could probably talk about it for for hours and i think you know one of the companies that are doing really well can we say company names in here is is omeo yeah so you know omeo have this amazing 
wheelchair, electric wheelchair, that looks like a segue of some description. And so when, you know, like I know, you know, a fair few people that have them now and they get in them, like people ask them, they're like, that is the most amazing thing. That is so cool. And, you know, they're going along on the beach and that sort of stuff and and, and people are interested and they want to know about the, you know, about them and about the the omeos. And I find that those sort of conversations, you know, that's starting to push towards that whole concept of, you know, there there shouldn't be a an identity of that person because of the kind of technology that they use. The other thing is disability accessible accommodation. You know, like I just recently stayed at a, a, a caravan park that was, there wasn't too many left. And so we ended up having to stay in the disability accessible accommodation. I thought, oh, great, I can check it out and see what it's like. And I was literally, you can't access it. Like <laughs> as an able body, I wasn't even nearly able to access the bed as well. So I was like, there is no way there can be a hoist put into here. The only thing that they'd change is they put, there was a ramp to get in. There was a, a rubber mat that was pushed together for getting over the, the rails of the sliding door and then the bathroom was in more of an open plan living um yes it was a cabin so there's there's small but and then you know the you hear these other stories of an accommodation that there was disability accessible units in this massive complex so all the other units face the ocean and there was four disability access units that did not and they were the only four that did not face the ocean. Yeah. And it was more expensive. And the very first thing is like the person who was staying there couldn't open the door. So it's yeah. it's it's that concept. And so what I would love to see, and I think that we have the most amazing engineers, the most amazing architects, the most amazing occupational therapists, physios, OTs, allied health, um, and that sort of stuff, is to actually, you know, and, and the priority is happening, is getting together and making everything that, you know, it's it's accommodation that is then accessible for everyone. There's yes. no label that's put on it as accessible disability accommodation. It's every this single is the room accommodation. Is. Yeah. Yeah. And I know there's a place in Sydney that does that really quite well. You know, if there's a, a ceiling hoist and the people that are staying there don't need the ceiling hoist, it's it's a way. Like you can't see it. Yeah. The furniture is exactly the same. The layout is just an open plan, beautiful layout. It's not this identity of, oh, you have a disability, you need to stay in an accessible disability accommodation that has a price tag attached to it as well. Mm. But then good luck opening a front door. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, Blair, and sharing the stories. You're uh, you yourself are a, are a gorgeous person and love everything you do and every story that you share and the, the comments that you shared, whether in, in a clinic between the three of us or uh, passing by, love everything you do. And, and it was great to have you on and share these stories and perceptions. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you rating and reviewing the podcast, but most importantly, sharing it with people you think it will impact the most. Before we go, again, a massive thanks to our sponsor, the Sunco Spinners. The Sunco Spinners are a social wheelchair-based sporting club. They operate multiple programs for people of all ages and abilities in basketball, rugby, and more. Follow the Sunco Spinners on Facebook, Instagram, and find out more about them at sunkospinners.com.au. 